Hello and welcome, independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, the Shadow Citizen. Welcome to episode 11 with special guest Anna Baltzer. You can listen to our live broadcasts and chat along with us over at mixlr.com slash shadow citizen. We are also simulcast on radioconfluence.com and from there you can take us with you on TuneIn and Live. For a schedule of upcoming guests and past archives, please check out our own site at shadowcitizen.online. And now we have cool merchandise. We have coffee cups and t-shirts, and we even have little uh, onesies for your babies or things for your dog. So anyway, it's pretty cool. We got people uh, sending in pictures, and we really appreciate it a whole lot. Uh, my name is Rob O'Sell, and my co-host is... Rachel L. McIntosh. And... Today, I'm really, really happy to have Anna with us. She is um, a Jewish-American woman, and she spent time in Palestine, and it really affected her to the fact that she now is making a full-time career out of being an activist. She wants to get people to understand what is happening in Palestine and what it means for Americans, because we are getting lots of information through sources that may be not they're filtering the sources of information that get to us. So we only get a certain picture of what's going on. So I'm really, really excited to have Anna Bautzer with us. She has a book called Witness in Palestine, a Jewish American woman in the occupied territories. And I highly recommend you go to her website, www.annainthemiddleeast.com. She also has a DVD and she has podcasts. She has all different things. And we are thrilled to have her with us today. Anna, say hello to everybody. Thank you for being with us. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Now, we wanted to talk to you specifically um, because people are getting filtered information through our mainstream media here in the United States about what it means to be a Palestinian and what it means to be an Israeli. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about your experience? Absolutely. Um, so when I was, um, I guess it's about 15 years ago now, I had graduated college and I went um, to Turkey on a Fulbright scholarship and um, traveled through the Middle East and Iran and Syria and Lebanon. And um, along my way, um, met, as far as I knew, at least for the first time, Palestinian refugees. And um, it was through my friendships with the families that I met that I started to hear for the first time in my life a very different uh, narrative and story about what was happening in Israel-Palestine from anything that I had ever heard or learned growing up as a Jewish American. Um, and my first reaction was actually disbelief. I thought that this was propaganda and lies. Um, but it, it it drew me to actually go and want to see for myself what was happening on the ground. Um, and what I saw really transformed my life. Um, and, and what I saw really broke down a lot of the different categories that I think we, we often tend to get confused, um, in large part because of that distortion in the mainstream media here in this country. Um, and so one of the distinctions I like to make is between what it means to be Jewish, Israeli, and Zionist. Um, a yes. lot of times people get these things confused, um, but they're actually separate categories. Um, Jewish people are people of the Jewish faith or culture, my, like myself, or lineage. Um, my mother's Jewish, her mother's Jewish, etc. And that's different from what it means to be Israeli. Israelis is citizenship. Israelis are citizens of the state of Israel. Um, and that's different from what what it means to be a Zionist. And Zionism is a political ideology based on um, creating and preserving a Jewish state in historic Palestine, often regardless of what the consequences are for the indigenous population. And those are different categories, Jewish, Israeli, Zionist. Sometimes they overlap in the same person, but they're not the same thing. There are Jews who aren't Israeli, like myself. I'm American. There are Israelis who aren't Jewish. 20% of people with Israeli citizenship are actually Palestinians. Uh, there are Jews who are anti-Zionist, um, like myself, people who believe that that this land um, should be for anyone whose, whose families have been there for generations um, uh, and that it shouldn't only be preserved for and 
only it shouldn't only be the Jewish people who are um, who who have rights there. And then there are Zionists who aren't Jewish. Um, for example, Christian Zionists, um, people who um, talk about uh, the coming of the Armageddon and 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 actually have no intention of protecting Jews at all, um, but do want to support Israel. And, and and we see actually more and more of that in the Trump era. We see the alignment mm-hmm. between yeah. um, between staunch support for the Israeli state and anti-Semitism. So we're actually seeing this play out before our eyes, and there can be no more claim that these are the same things. And we need to be careful in our um, communication to, to keep these things separate. Um, in fact, to to sort of claim that support for Israel and support for what Israel's doing in in to to Palestinians, which involves horrors and war crimes um, and the denial of basic human rights, that those things should have anything to do with Judaism is actually a very offensive parallel to make. Um, One of the things I noticed about your uh, your DVD is you don't concentrate on on the wars or the war crimes or the atrocities. You mainly just kind of concentrate on just the inconvenience of of all the checkpoints of being walled off in every direction. And of course, you know Trump wants to build a wall here, and I'm, I'm totally opposed to it. But your just appeal to compassion and empathy for the Palestinian people who had lived there and sometimes can't even get to their own land that has been in their family for generations. Could you speak a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So I talk about Jews and Israelis and Zionists, but uh, but of course, Palestinians are the indigenous population to this land. Um, and, you know, given the, the horrors of European anti-Semitism, um, there was a drive to create a Jewish state, um, and, and there was a desire to do so in what was at the time Palestine, historic Palestine. Um, the trouble was that you were trying to create a Jewish state in a, an area where the majority of the population simply was not Jewish. Palestinians, there were some Palestinian Jews, but but many, most of them were Palestinian Muslims or Palestinian Christians or others. Um, and so in order to create a Jewish state, it required actually the violent massacre and exile of the majority of Palestinians from their homes and lands in what became known to Israelis as the Israeli War of Independence and Israel's creation uh, in 1948, but known to Palestinians as al-Nakba, which means the catastrophe, in which the majority of Palestinians were driven from their homes and lands um, and uh, and forced into exile or to live in refugee camps um, or into ghettos. And, um, and that was in 1948, but what we see ever since then, and we're on actually the 70th anniversary of the beginning of the Nakba, this coming November, um, is really the continuation of that process. And what that looks like on a daily basis um, are, are these sort of, if you can call them microaggressions, I mean, they're, they're big things, but um, uh, basic ways to, to, to create life, so, to make life so unlivable for the Palestinian people um, that, that they would perhaps choose to leave if they even have that option um, or or to 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 repress them into submission um, not something unique to Israel but it's certainly what Israel is doing to the Palestinians um, in 1967 um, Israel which had occupied 78 percent of historic Palestine when it created itself uh, in 1967 um, so 50 years ago this this year um, Israel occupied all remaining Palestinian lands um, and that in that as part of that military occupation is a whole intricate system of what we call Israeli apartheid. Um, Israel is an apartheid state. It fits the the UN definition of apartheid. And what that can look like is, um, for example, um, checkpoints all over the West Bank, um, where Palestinians who wish to go from their village, let's say, to their university in the closest nearby city, there's the checkpoint that they have to pass through, that they have to wait at for hours and hours. Students um, humiliated um, at these at these checkpoints, often unable to even reach um, their their schools. People trying to to hold down a job, it's impossible. People trying to go to the hospital. Women who are in labor being forced to give birth at checkpoints. I mean, something as uh, you know, something like a checkpoint. And we know that people are terrorized by these these racist checkpoint institutions, not just in in Palestine, but in places like the U.S., where we we see ICE cracking down on um, on immigrants and the way that 
that people are really dehumanized um, by these racist policies of, uh, of racial profiling, where in some people have, have some rights and others have others. So, um, you know, another parallel that you bring up is the wall. Um, Trump, when asked about his desire to not just build a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, because there already is one, but to expand it and to make it even more treacherous, actually cited Israel as justification. Well, look at Israel. Israel has a wall. Um, oh and, yeah. and actually, is Israel's wall um, is uh, is a monstrosity. It's twice the size of the Berlin Wall in urban areas. It's it's concrete that high. Um, and it's not even built between Palestinians and Israelis, not that that would be a great solution, but it's actually built between Palestinians and each other and their lands and their um, communities, their families, their schools, their hospitals, their jobs, um, but most of all their land. It's, it's, it's a land grab, a way to separate Palestinian farmers from olive groves um, that are then annexed by Israel. Um, and we can really trace back all of the different policies of occupation that Israel um, tends to present as security measures um, back to this question of um, Israel getting more land for the Jewish state with fewer people on it or forcing Palestinians off of it. Um, there are There's something called Israeli settlements where by, uh, um, Jewish Israelis um, basically can go and squat on, occupy a piece of Palestinian land, maybe even a Palestinian's home, um, and maintain their presence there. Eventually the Israeli government um, you know, might surround it with a, with a security fence, um, bring in soldiers to protect it. And basically one by one, these, uh, these, these grow into colonies, into settlements built on Palestinian land, um, whereby Palestinians lose even more of their land and, um, and Jewish Israelis gain control. And these settlements are only for, for Jews. Palestinians can't live inside them, even though they're built on Palestinian land. Um, so we see these really racist um, practices that are not unlike, let's say, our history of colonization on this land, on Turtle Island. Um, and we see it, it, it carries carried out today in Palestine with full U.S. support. It is the U.S. that provides the weapons, the diplomatic support, the political support, and all of the backing for Israel to carry out these monstrous, colossal injustices against the Palestinian people. And oftentimes we have no idea. And it's really time that we get that information there. There are many ways of of now knowing about what's happening and, and that we fight it, um, just as we are fighting other racist um, U.S.-backed policies. You are such a good speaker. Look at that, how much you jammed into those few minutes. Good for you, that was awesome. Now listen to me. I listened to the, I watched the DVD last night and I was just blown away that the two road systems, just the two road systems, that was killing me. They have the Israeli road system and then you have the Palestinian road system. So if you're a Palestinian, you have to drive on their roads. And if you're Israeli, even if you're driving through Palestine to the settlement, you're on Israeli roads. And the Palestinians, Palestinians can't drive on it. I mean, Israel has a very sophisticated apartheid system. And in fact, it's not even as simple as Israelis versus Palestinians, but Palestinians themselves have a hierarchy of if you have this kind of ID card, you can be on these roads. If you have that kind of ID card, you can vote. If you have that kind, you cannot vote. If you have, like, it is, it is really an intricate apartheid um, system um, that is fully grounded in in dividing the Palestinians from one another and in dominating them um, and and there is it's it's good that you bring up um, this this question of the of the different identities because Palestinians are not only those who live in the West Bank and Gaza under military occupation that I began to describe I didn't even get to Gaza um, which is under a, a, a brutal suffocating um, deadly siege and has been for I believe. Uh, um, I think almost 10 years um, coming up. Um, but um, uh, but there's also Palestinians living inside Israel. And those are the Palestinians who remained um, after Israel's Nakba catastrophe um, ex ex um, exile of most Palestinians. Um, and they themselves can, for example, vote. They're citizens of Israel, but within a very limited framework. Um, because Israel is not the state of its citizens. Israel is the state of a whole bunch of people who are not its citizens, like myself. Uh, it's supposedly my state, even though I live here in the U.S., just because I'm Jewish. And not the state of a bunch of people who are its citizens, like, like Palestinian citizens of Israel who are not Jewish. Um, and, and Palestinians inside Israel have more than 50 apartheid laws that discriminate against them simply because of their religion. Um, not only that, but of course, there's the majority of Palestinians 
Palestinians who don't even live inside historic Palestine anymore because they are in exile, because they were made refugees involuntarily by Israel. Um, and uh, and when we talk about working for justice for Palestinians, we have to keep um, we have to we have to really uh, look at the full breadth of of rights being denied to Palestinians and really to center the voices of Palestinians themselves who have been talking about these things for decades, even though many of us were not listening. Can I ask you a question? You just said something. You said Israel is your state, even though you're an American. Can you kind of clarify that? Because I know that my mother constantly is, well, my mother and a bunch of people are constantly confused by people who say things like that. Well, I didn't mean to say that that I feel like Israel's my state. No, no, no. But I I really, but yeah, so. so How does that technically work? Part of Israel's propaganda machine is to claim that it represents the Jewish people. Um, right. So it, it claims that it is the the nation of the Jewish people, that everything it does is to protect the Jewish people. Um, and uh, this is problematic on so many levels. One is the direct impact it has on non-Jews under Isra- mm-hmm. Israel's control. The majority of the people under Israel's contro- control are not Jewish. And yet Israel is very explicitly de- dedicated only to the Jewish people. And this is not even to get into the fact that among Jews, Israel is a very white supremacist, racist state, wherein Jews of color are systematically targeted as well. Um, but I, I, I couldn't speak as an expert on, on that in any way. Um, but it is extremely important in understanding Israel and Zionism as a, as a white supremacist regime. Um, but this is, a, but Israel's claim to represent Jews is also a way to really silence legitimate dissent. Um, if you claim that you represent the Jewish people, then as soon as we criticize you, then then that's is that criticizing Jews, right? So it serves right. to really muzzle legitimate, obvious, really dissent and criticism against Israel's anti-democratic and uh, you know oppressive, racist policies. Um, so it's really part of a of yeah of this more nefarious um, way of silencing people, in addition to the obvious political issues with it. One of the things that uh, Israel does is, you know, it promotes its tourism as, you know, being the place for, for the birth, birthplace of Christ. And so one of the things they do that you show in the video also is that the wall is pretty much uh, disguised. So it's kind of landscaped and it doesn't really look very daunting on the Israel side. But when you're on the Palestinian side of the wall, it is just this huge, uh, you know, monolith type structure that, uh, you know, is really intimidating. So um, I, I know we want to get into some of the local stuff, too, you know, and our time is just going by way too fast. Now, I remember seeing uh, about how the Palestinians were actually tweeting to the protesters uh, during the Ferguson uh, protest and like how to deal with the, with the tear, tear gas, because the tactics and the the equipment that they were using is the same, you know, equipment that they were using in Israel, and you know, got transported to to Ferguson. Is that true, or can you speak on that at all? So yeah, the same company that produced the tear gas, actually based in in Pennsylvania, that's been used to um, to target Palestinians resisting Israeli. Um, is used against communities in this country, especially communities of color that are likewise targeted by state violence and um, militarized police. Um, And, you know, I I spoke a lot about the injustices of of Israeli oppression of the Palestinian people, um, but I didn't speak enough about Palestinian resistance and that it has has been um, uh, central um, for as long as as, as Zionist oppression has existed. Um, And Palestinians have been resisting creative, beautiful, um, um, interesting, effective ways for um, for more than 100 years. And a lot of those forms of, of resistance are actually things that we can learn from here in this country, in particular in the Trump era. So for example, um, there's a long history of, of strikes um, that, and, and of course, the, that exists also in this country, um, of protests. Um, you know, how do we deal with protests? How do we deal with things like tear gas? And it was really beautiful the way that Palestinians reached out to the protesters in Ferguson and that there is now, and has been for a long time, that black Palestinian solidarity is not new. Um, uh, but we see it reaching new levels um, today, that people are really making the connections between um, Israeli uh, oppression of Palestinians and, and Zionism um, and other forms. Of, of racism and, and white supremacy, um, and that we are really um, we, we are in need of a, of a really a, um, 
a collective front um, and to, to not exceptionalize these different issues, but really see them as part of a, of a collective struggle for collective liberation. Um, and, and in, you know, it, it, because we are stronger together, because, um, you know, because we, we want to, we want to fight for each other. Um, uh, but also because oftentimes it really is the same, <laughs> the same oppressor. It, it, you know, a lot of these corporations that are profiting from Israel's occupation, uh, corporations like Hewlett Packard, um, which is um, pro providing the imaging for Israel's ID card system and racist checkpoints, um, uh, and provides all kinds of other technology for uh, Israeli prisons, etc. Um, is the same corporation that is that is providing technology to U.S. prisons, aiding in ISIS deportations. Um, you know, these are the same corporations, and we can we can look at those connections and we can see the connections between these different forms of oppression. Um, not to somehow blend them as if they are exactly the same, but to notice um, that that we do have these commonalities and to build on them um, to to ultimately win. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to mention um, the Hewlett-Packard as an example of one of the um, many campaigns for boycott, divestment and sanctions that exist today. Um, the, the boycott, divestment, sanctions, the acronym is BDS. The, the, the BDS call came from Palestinian civil society more than 10 years ago. And Palestinians basically said to the international community, um, uh, if you cannot stop the, the billions coming from your government, such as, as ours, we have um, billions going to, to support Israel's um, aggression, um, stop profiting from it yourselves and your complicity. And there have and the, the tactics of boycott, divestment, and sanctions, which are actually based on the anti-apartheid's utilization of those same tactics, have been extremely effective um, in, um, in bringing the question of, of, of ending our support for Israeli aggression against Palestinians um, to campuses um, in campus uh, boycott and divestment campaigns, um, campaigns to divest churches from Israeli apartheid in the same way that these tactics were used to, um, to target with boycotts and divestment and sanctions apartheid South Africa in a very effective way. Um, so people can really engage in this. It's not simply about learning what's happening, which of course is important. And if you want an intro, my book and DVD are out there. There's lots of other resources beyond my own. Um, really, and I really encourage people to go to our website, which is um, for the, uh, the US Campaign for Palestinian Rights. The acronym is US uscpr.org. You can get updates, action alerts, lots. There's so many ways of getting involved. Um, but BDS provides a very tangible, concrete way for people to see the ways in which we are we are complicit in what Israel's doing to stop buying products that contribute to 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 the oppression of Palestinians and to, to really mount and pass um, effective resolutions and campaigns for boycotts and divestment based on the call that came from, from Palestinians themselves. And what's neat is to see the way that these tactics of boycotts and divestment are also being used by other struggles. So for example, you know, municipal divestment in places like Seattle, Washington, and Davis, California, from the, uh, the uh, North D Dakota Access Pipeline um, the Dakota Access Pipeline um, in solidarity with Standing Rock and indigenous struggle. Um, so the, the tactics of divestment really being utilized also for climate justice, divestment from fossil fuels, um, boycotts, you know, we saw the delete Uber trend and we see boycotts being more and more utilized. And we have a lot to learn from, from one another and really build on the, the successes of the Palestine movement um, in, in really, um, you know, BDS, these tactics, these time-honored tactics that are nonviolent of boycotts and divestment have really become the greatest strategic threat to to Israeli domination um, that there ever has been, and they and they're they're these beautiful um, tactics that have been used, you know, with the Montgomery bus boycott, Gandhi, etc. Um, and and we see them playing out today from Palestine to the U.S. and beyond. Well, I'm going to jump in. We got a little bit of a, a dialogue going in the chat here, and it says, but religion being the main cause is yet to be mentioned, and I disagree with that. Uh, you know, I think religion is kind of the excuse. Uh, and also, y you pr haven't really mentioned about the refuseniks, the, the Israelis who are opposed to the Zionism and the, the you know, they want, they want something different. They don't like the system that they're living under now. So uh, it's, you know, it, would you speak on that a little bit? 
Sure, sure. Um, so first of all, for the question of if this is a religious conflict, um, that I understand that is the, the, the common perception, but that's simply not the case. This is not a struggle around religion. This is a struggle around land. And it's, it's, it's very clear being there and, and learning about it, that that is a, a misperception that I think is propagated intentionally in order to um, to make people feel like they can't fully understand it, for example, that it's something that's been going on for thousands of years. That's nonsense. Um, actually, Jews lived in the Middle East um, more, uh, Jews were less targeted within the Middle East than anywhere in, uh, in, in Western, in, in, uh, the Western hemisphere and in Europe. Um, you know, it is not the case that, that Palestinians are, uh, anti-Semitic inherently or anything like that. Um, this is not about religion. This is about, um, resources and, uh, and land. Um, and, uh, sorry, your second question, remind me. Oh, it was just about the refuseniks and the Israelis oh, sure, yeah. themselves that are opposed to this apartheid state. And yeah, yeah, there are Israelis who refuse to serve in the military. There are Israelis who um, support the, the boycott, divestment, sanctions call, who say boycott my country, um, including, you know, ac academics. So the part of the BDS call in, involves a boycott of academic and cultural institutions because they are part and parcel of Israel's oppressive regime. Um, and there are many Israelis who are themselves, um, you know, supporting and leading these campaigns, but they are being targeted by Israel. There's recent legislation to really um, criminalize, to, to to, to make lists of them, to target Israelis who support BDS, and of course, targeting Palestinians themselves, who are leaders of the BDS movement. One of the co-founders, Omar Barghouti, is at this very minute under a gag order and has been enduring um, more than a week of interrogations um, because of because of this repression. Um, we see in the United States, students who are leading um, uh, campus divestment campaigns are being targeted um, and uh, and smeared, and we see at, at the federal and state and municipal levels of the U.S. government attempts to pass anti-BDS legislation. BDS being a, an entirely constitutional form of resistance is now being um, uh, trying to be muzzled um, with this anti-constitute, this, uh, you know, anti-free speech um, legislation. But it really just goes to show just how desperate the opposition has become because they are no longer winning the court of public opinion. Anytime there is an actual vote, anytime anyone wakes up and learns about the issue, nobody can, can support what Israel's doing anymore. So they're resorting to these top-down draconian efforts because they cannot um, sustain the, the previous status quo anymore. So it really shows how effective this resistance has become and that we really need to redouble our efforts. And I, I really encourage people to, um, to, to find out more. Um, you can go to our website uh, at the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, uscpr.org. Sign up for action alerts. You know, look around, do some Googling. Um, there's so much out there. And, and especially Especially during this moment when we can see the parallels that it's, um, you know, that, that just as Trump wants to expand the wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, which we, we, we visited as our, our organization about six weeks ago, and it was horrifying to see the human impact of this wall that is separating mothers from their daughters, you know, families from each other, seeing people who cannot even touch each other through the wall trying to, to have a conversation and reconnect because of these racist policies that separate them. Um, not only is Trump building a wall, but Israel, you know, it, it touts its its walls that separate Palestinians from their resources and each other. You know, um, not only does does uh, Trump have a ban on refugees um, and uh, and, a, and a Muslim ban, but Israel's Muslim ban, uh, Israel's ban of refugees, goes back now um, almost seventy years um, to uh, to its initial. Um, exile of most of the indigenous population that it has since banned um, simply because they are Christian or Muslim. Um, you know, that, that, that both, um, that, that, you know, just as the U.S. is building on stolen land um, of, of, the, of the Standing Rock tribe, so is Israel building on stolen land in Jerusalem um, with its settlements. Um, that, you know, that, that these are two regimes that are founded on racism, on Islamophobia, on white supremacy. They have a culture of repression. Um, uh, to, to stifle the resistance that will continue. Um, and, and we can see the connections that have always been there and we can build together a united front against oppression and against racism and for things that we all believe in like justice and equality and freedom for all people, um, regardless of their religion, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their gender identity um, for everybody. Right on, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I know you told us you only had a half hour at the half hour mark right now. Um, 
Rob, is there anything else from chat that you should ask her? Oh, oh, no, I, I, I'm just kind of enthralled with everything that you're saying. But I know uh, you did say Trump several times. And, you know, the apartheid issue was not addressed during the Obama administration. So we can't just put make it all sound like it was just coming from Trump. I mean, this has been going on. Uh, Jimmy Carter was, you know, tried to do some peace uh, talks between, you know, both sides. But, you know, this has been going on for a long, long time. So we can't just put, pin everything on Trump. And I would like you to. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I can end on that. Um, that you know, I, these the there has been um, bipartisan support for Israel um, going back decades, um, and that you know, Democrats and Republicans alike. Um, and you know, certainly Obama gave Israel more aid, as, if, if I have my numbers right, than any any president before him. Um, uh, but I can say that. Um, that Trump is well certainly um, you know bringing um, the racism and white supremacy of this country to 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 uh, it's it's sort of embold he's sort of emboldened it and allowed it um, to 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 gain more power than 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 ever before in my lifetime. Um, but he's also given us an opportunity. It's making very clear these connections that were already there. Um, we can no longer deny that this country that we you know that we live in was was founded on white supremacy and and continues to to um, to uh, to manifest that white supremacy every day, and we can no longer de deny these obvious um, connections. And and I hope that this moment, in all of its horrors, especially for targeted communities, um, also um, lets us see with some clarity what's happening and 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 which side, and and it helps us pick which side we're on. And it's very clear that Trump and the Israeli regime and and Netanyahu, Israeli Prime Minister, stand united. Um, and so let let us be clear where we stand and let us work together for for justice for all and to side right. with you on the uh, on the trump issue i i don't even know if we want to open this can of worms but uh, jared kushner uh his ties to israel are uh it's that's kind of scary to me and i don't know yeah, if you his, wanna... his parents are developers of the settlements Anna, anything else? Uh, I, you know, I hope we can have you back at some point because this has been. Yeah, I would, I would love to have you back because I really feel we just jammed everything in thirty minutes as much as we could, and it's so good to hear all of this stuff from your perspective. Thank well, you. thanks so much for thanks so much for having me, and um, you know there are wonderful. Um, many wonderful Palestinian speakers who can talk um, with even better clarity than my own about their own experience um, uh, targeted by Israeli apartheid. So, um, so thank you for for listening, and um, and I hope that this can can help people on their journey to understanding and taking action. Thank you, Anna. You rock. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anna. And yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again. Uh, and now, Rachel, we're going to get yes. back to the well, color I, tie report. I'm blown, I'm blown away, Rob. I'm blown away. Anna just spoke so eloquently, and she jammed so much information in. She's like a professional debate person. I can't believe that. She should be a lawyer. She's great. She's yeah, great. Yeah, I imagine if you go out on the circuit, you're going to have all kinds of people you're going to encounter all kinds of people if you go out to you know to colleges to talk and that kind of stuff you're going to have a lot of people really mad at you so she's got a yeah. pretty thick skin and uh yeah and uh, but the way she's able to keep talking yeah. <laughs> and she keeps talking that's really that's a gift it is <laughs> <laughs> it really is well, it's, it's a good. gift that, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Cliff Hyde at all, but uh, he was talking about kind of this uh, people that are, they're almost like schizophrenic because at this proper time in history, they, they hear this voice that tells them, you know, what needs to be said. And so they aren't schizophrenic. They're the people that become the, the shamans, the visionaries. And they aren't nice people because they tell people what they don't want to hear, no matter how polite and, and nice they, they, they come across as you know everybody perceives them as a threat because they're you know getting into our cushy way of life and we don't like that so uh but anyway yeah but, I, are you saying that's anna i i would say so i would say probably uh probably everybody that's in the room is is somewhat that way you know that all of a sudden we're hearing uh the winds of change you know talking to us and and telling us that uh you know the stuff they're telling us on the news isn't right. You know, listen up, folks. Right. You know, right. and and so yeah, you've got it. Uh, you know, I've got it. Well, certainly. what she said is what she said about the um, difference of the traveling 
all the stuff, the different labels you have to have to travel to certain places. Where I used to work at that defense contractor, the president of the company had two passports, one that he would use when he was going into Israel and one he used when he'd go into Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. And you're, you're technically not supposed to have two passports, right? <laughs> right. But he had two passports just specifically because if he used the um, the one that said Saudi Arabia going into Israel that had a stamp in it that said Saudi Arabia while he was going into Israel, he had all sorts of problems. And he was like, screw this. I'm getting another passport. And somehow he got himself one. Well, if you're if you have dual citizenship, does that also do you, do you have a, a passport from each uh, country that you are a, a citizen? Yeah, he was in? an American. He was American. Well, uh, there are a lot of American Israeli dual citizens, you know. And I no, actually... he wasn't. A, he was not a dual citizen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he just got himself two passports. <laughs> well, that's convenient. I suppose if you got enough money, you can have anything. You can have anything <laughs> you want. So. Uh, Anyhow, but I, I loved having her on. It was very, very refreshing to hear her talk. Yeah. And, and we definitely got to have her on again. And people who haven't seen this uh, life in occupied Palestine, like I say, there's no screaming and bombing and no. nothing. It's just. And she talks much slower, too. She talks <laughs> she much talks. slower and it's calm. And you're just like, wow, I never thought about that. And she shows pictures of Palestine, of what it's really like back there. And it's just like, I, I watched the whole thing last night. I was just kind of blown away. Yeah, and I, I just saw, I mentioned before the show here that Lee Camp and uh, Abby Martin have now addressed this issue, and Abby Martin actually went over there, and it's a it's a great parallel. So let me see. We will put up the Color Tie Report music, and, uh, and uh, maybe we can... Oh, you want to do that right now? Oh, okay. yeah, if you're ready. Are you ready? Of course. I'm always ready with a tie color report. You kidding me? Okay, here we go. Shadow Citizen presents the Necktie Color Report. And now for this week's interpretation of the subliminal messaging in necktie color as shown in this week's photos distributed by the mainstream media. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Shadow Citizen Tie Color Report. This week I have two bombshells to report on. First is the emergence of the skinny tie. The president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has been spotted twice in the news sporting a tie inspired by the 1960s or 1980s. Seeing as the tie was not textured as woven, I'm going to assume this was a hat tip to the 1960s Men in Black Kennedy era. However, it could also be a sign that we're entering a big 80s redo. Jared was wearing a black skinny tie when his father-in-law, President Trump, announced the newly formed office it was called the White House Office of American Innovation as a new thing, with Jared Kushner overseeing it. The office will leverage business ideas and potentially privatize some of the government's functions. Kushner says, the government should be run like an American company. Our hope is that we can achieve success and the efficiencies for our customers, who are the citizens. Now, of course, the citizens are really more correctly positioned as the board members and the shareholders. But that was a nice thing to say on his way into the office. The black skinny tie works well here, as in it's an obvious rejection of the 1970s-inspired ties that have been all the rage during the Make America Great Again boomer mind screwery that's been going on. Black is drop-dead serious. It's, it also is much more flattering to Jared Kushner's slight frame. The other bombshell tie color development was when President Trump signed the bill into law repealing all the Obama-era Environmental Protection Agency stuff. He was wearing a blue tie with white crisscrosses. This incorporated the horizontal stripes that he had been wearing on the blue ties when he was focused on calm communication and the intelligence community. This used horizontal stripes going both ways. This was very interesting to me as we hear about Harvard University announcing the launch of its geoengineering program this week, in which it will re recreate volcanic ash plumes to alleviate global warming. Of course, these man-made ash plumes will also contain barium oxide and aluminum oxide. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the tie the present war very much reminded me of chemtrails. Anyhow, that's my tie color report for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. 
and I'll see you next week. And that's a great, uh, you know, tie-in to our last, you know, with uh, with Ben Davidson, you know. And uh, oh my gosh, how could I forget that? And, that and, that literally shook me up. And then yeah, he just had a right after he did our interview. The very next day, he had a, a clip about uh, it was just him and some of the other you know weather observers that were going. Uh, the, you know they're actually going to announce it. You know before they've denied that there was any such a thing as chemtrails, but now they're going to announce that chemtrails. You know that the spraying is going to start. They aren't going to admit to having done it already. They're just going to say it's going to start. And then one of the other uh, one of the other commenters go, "Oh, they, yeah. Now that the ice age is about ready to start, you know, where temperatures are going to actually cool, they will be able to say, yeah, see, we started, you know, spraying the chemtrails and we quit, you know, with our successful program. We uh, we stopped the global warming. It's getting cooler. Don't you like that? Right, right. Yeah, that was interesting. And but yeah, that whole thing like freaked me right out." Because they're talking about, and MIT, of course, which is right across, like literally right next door to Harvard, um, they're pro this program. They think it's great. And the IPCC, which is that big international board that's about climate change, they're anti this. They think this is a bad, bad thing. As does Ben Davidson, our guest. He thought this was a bad, bad thing, that they should be spraying this stuff on us. Well, um, because, of course, he sees it more as the whole earth change thing as more of a magnetic relationship, geomagnetic relationship between the sun and the earth. And that's what uh, but I, I was blown away yeah, by what he was telling us about the geo, the magnetism problem on earth and how it's been the sun is calming down with its sunspots and everything and the rays that it's throwing at us. And it's making it so that the, the weather isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing at all. And the sun has its own uh, protective, you know, magnetic, you know, barrier, you know, that keeps us safe from space radiation. And that uh, is, you know, minimizing also. And so the Earth's protective magnetic, uh, you know, field is uh, becoming less and less. And he says, you know, this, we're going to learn, you know, what the great minds, you know, you know, discovered, you know, that what was going on in space, that we've been living in kind of a, you know, a rather sheltered 600, 800 years here. And so now as things change. But I just, when I heard this thing about these guys taking credit for stopping global warming, I was reminded, you know, of this parody site, you know, Minnesotans for for global warming. You know, and nobody's going to like it if these guys stand up and see, say, see, it's colder now. We we caused this. You know, these guys are going to get tarred and feathered and burned at the stake. You know, yeah, the whole yeah. works. So yeah. uh, it'll be pretty funny. But wow. Well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I not not like ha ha funny, but it's gonna be yeah. I understand what you're talking about. Well, it's just gonna it's to me it's funny that these guys just are that clueless, you know, that they they won't realize what the heck's going on. So anyway, I also wanted to mention that you know since we you know this show is kind of about Palestine and the parallels. I mean, the other thing that's starting to hit the news cycle is you know the national ID, and that's exactly you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't go into the different colored uh, license plates. The Palestinians have, what, green right. license plates? Yeah, and that movie it... that she did up was so great. I watched it last night. I really think everybody should go to her website and find that movie and just click on it. It's really good. Yeah. Her website, uh, what is it? Anna did in the Middle us? East. Yeah, Anna in... yeah, Anna in the Middle East. Very, very good. Yeah, she did a great job. And she's, you know, uh, like I say, she could probably have a cushy job someplace else. And she's just somebody that's kind of heard the call and uh, is out here spreading this. And, and yeah, I, I when I was trying to get her on my show, you know, I saw pictures of her in, in the, the marches, in the protests, you know, in Ferguson. So they were down there. And I think her grandmother was out there also. So maybe that's why she's doing it. She's kind of... Her grandma's got the got the gene too that you know makes you you know a little bit more feisty and get out there and say, hey, this isn't right. Let's uh, let's have peace and prosperity for everybody, not just a a few at the very top who have learned how to uh, implement this divide and conquer that you know that they keep us fighting with each other about. So right, right. Well, it was interesting too because um, Obama did sign the largest aid package to Israel ever. And then when Trump was coming in, he promised the Israelis that he would boost the, that even more. And interestingly, they're not going to call it they're going to not call it humanitarian aid. 
They're going to call it something else. And it's really going to roll back into the um, contracts that the U.S. Um, defense contractors get. So there's going to be more money pumped out on top of what Obama promised, pumped out to the U.S. military contractors to build more stuff for Israel to protect itself. So, But on top of that thing that they're going to do, there's um, a provision that any countries that do not recognize Israel's, the state of Israel, such as Malaysia, the U.S. will not trade with. That's not cool. No, it's not cool. But there's lots of things that we should be uh, paying attention to. You know, I think this was, they say one of the reasons that JFK was probably assassinated was that, uh, uh, according to our treaties, that any country who has nuclear weapons that they haven't declared, uh, we're not supposed to trade with them either, you know, and... Oh, 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 yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, that's so. I mean, we should not be providing all this aid to Israel that we're doing. And uh, I wish I would have prepared. And, you know, what What, is it? Was it like 10 million a day that we're given to? What is it? It's something crazy like that that the U.S. is giving to Israel. Yeah, I think it's much higher. It's it's a lot. And, and then, you know, we should start looking at, you know, how much it's costing each American citizen, you know, to, to support Israel. And what are we getting back for it? You know, because, uh, you know, it's this uh this later latest fighter jet that you know is asphyxiating the pilots and everything and and we've just gave a bunch of them to Israel and they've gone in and retooled them and made made them work you know so are they giving us that those uh that technology back i mean we're giving them the planes are they giving us the technology back uh i bet you it's a, a one way street on that one so uh no i i don't know about that i think it's probably two way but uh, especially if it's a fixed to us contractor thing they probably do have to talk to the contractor. It's not even through the U.S. government. Like she said, it's really important to know who these corporations are that you can boycott. And like, who would who would have thought HP? Yeah, the the friendly company, and and you know the what was this Ortel guy? You know, talked about how GE is just you know, and you know what was the GE imagination or whatever? I forgot they had all those commercials. Well, we, and, yeah, we bring good things to life. They try to make their 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 catchphrases as open and uplifting as possible so they can literally be doing anything you know like they make refrigerators sure but they also make this thing most of the stuff that they're making money off of at ge is weaponry yeah so in fact the company that i worked for that i've written my books about um all those are a lot of those divisions came from ge yeah, and the the company that I you know worked for, uh, just making circuit boards. A lot of those circuit boards went to GE and went to you know their different medical divisions and their defense division, and you know so all sorts of stuff. And uh, like yeah. I say, it is. Uh, and what Anna was talking about about the Gaza Strip, I wanted to bust in, but she was she was on a roll. I didn't know where to really cut into her. Was um, the Gaza Strip? I have I follow you know Project Censored. Uh-huh. And sometimes I actually buy the book. They put out a book each year. I think it was Project Censored 2009 or 2008. They had um, an essay about the the natural gas that's in the, the water that is right on the shore of the Gaza Strip. And, of course, they could have, they could have been completely out of any sort of financial problems if that deal had gone through. But then it got blocked. I think it was BP that blocked the deal. Yeah, and every time, I mean, Gaza probably isn't going to last much longer. It is basically just a big pile of rubble at this point. They bombed the heck out of that that place. Yeah, because they want that. Like she said, it's about land and it's about... um, It's about land and the resources under them. And the resources, sure. And I do think that Gaza Strip is all about that gas that's underneath the water right there on their shoreline. Yeah, about that. And it's also, uh, you know, I've heard that they, you know, that they already have plans to develop it into another, you know, resort area also that they will have. It'll be like a new Dubai Dubai or something like that. But it will be a Israeli, you know, built thing. You know, so it'll be. uh, I'm sure it's going to be gorgeous. I mean, they've got all the money in the world, right? 
Yeah, so, we pay for it. <laughs> so, why not? Why not? Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's where Obama and the Clintons and everybody else will be heading. So that's uh, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, oh, shoot, I saw some more interesting stuff, you know, that tied into the, our interview with Ortel, uh, you know, about the Clintons. And uh, as soon as Hillary lost the Clintons, all of these uh, countries that had been, you know, sending them money, you know, into the Clinton uh, Global Initiative. They canceled the checks the night that Hillary lost. It's you know, so. These. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's why that that foundation is now going away. You know, it's it will be right. no longer. And her, um, Chelsea's husband, um, he had a, he had a, a hedge fund set up. It was all, and it instantly went it instantly went belly up because nobody's going to invest in that thing if you don't have any sort of play with the new president right yeah it's, it was so, just a bribery you know a, a way to, to funnel bribes you know to, that yeah, these countries sure. wanted to be able to bribe the politicians and so it was a way to take money into the country that they could you know bribe to get what they wanted you know yeah. uh, favorable trade status and the whole work so well the same you know i just want to say if you look at it though it's Trump being the president now is a natural progression of things because he used all of his his um, his ties to all sorts of businesses to get him to where he is today. Right. That, to, in this political thing. That's what happened. Right. And it, it's amazing, you know, how all of, you know, all of his kids are married to Jewish people with, you know, direct ties to, uh, you know, influential families in Israel. So, and, Wait, all of his kids are? Well, at least or just Ivanka. The son is also has a Jewish wife, and uh, oh, I uh, forgot. Did, what, did he convert? I don't know if he's converted. I or don't not. think so. No, no probably not. because it all it only really matters if the woman remains Jewish, then her children are Jewish. Oh, I see. It, because the the lineage goes through the woman's side. Okay. Uh, yeah, and me, I'm, uh, well, we all know that I was a Catholic, and I don't practice it, it anymore, but I, I I just distrust all religions. I don't, uh, you know, yeah. I, I... Well, because it really does plague, um, you know, a lot on people's minds, I think. But it's, and people's spirituality is really important part of their life on the planet. I mean, it's not to be ignored. People, how they feel about their eternal self, uh, that's not to be ignored. Yeah, and if you but, give up on religion, it's usually for that very, you know, reason, you know, especially yeah. I, I've known a lot of, you know, ex-Catholics, and they still, uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, they they were not able to surrender their conscience in, in the confessional, you know, they still wanted, you know, they still felt bad about what was going on, and they wanted to be active, and they just, you know, couldn't find what they were looking for in the church, so... Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's every, it's a personal journey. Let's just call it that. It's a personal it, journey. It is. Um, so now I'm really excited because we've got, guess who we have coming up yes, next month? Yes, we have Jack Yay, Boyd coming I up. So. Her, I got her. <laughs> Joyce oh, Riley uh, of the Power Hour. We're going to be doing an interview with her um, mostly to talk about her, how she got involved with um, broadcasting, how her life turned into that, and the journey that she took and the people that she talked to and what was the most outstanding things that she came across and things that she wants to impart on the next generation of um, DIY type of investigative journalists or people that want to talk to the world, like, like Rob and I, um, what is her, what could she give us as far as advice? So I'm really, really excited about that interview. Yeah, I am too. I've listened to Joyce. I think I started probably in like 2004, and uh, she's been a staple. And I, you know, there are, you know, I mean, I've listened to AJ all this time. I followed Jack Blood across, you know, several networks. Who he's on next week, right? I've... No, Jack Blood's going to be on. Let's look. Let's look. Oh, wait a second. No, next week tight. is uh, Tony Zamboni. We we no, pre-recorded that. Next week that. is Tony. Yeah, so, yeah, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, that's we we had a one. great interview, and Tony and I are buddies now. We uh, we're about the same age, and I've got a. I think we're Tony's going to come over to Radio Confluence and do an open phone session roundtable nice. where everybody can call in and believe me, this guy can talk about everything. He's very technical. He's very smart. Yeah, he's got the gift for the gab. Just he's like got the you, gift Rob. for the gab, and he's he's got math behind everything. He's done all of these things, so that will be a lot of fun. And uh, yep. I don't know if we'll get him. So to that's it. that's going to be on Wednesday the fifth. 
Tony will be with us talk 9-11 truth, 9 wait, artists, artists, architects and engineers for 9-11 truth is next week on Wednesday the 5th. And then on the 12th, we've got Stefan, and I don't even know how to say his last name, Verstefan? Yeah, and I don't even know who this guy is. I haven't done my homework, oh, so well, I'm going to have to start great. looking really, it up. It's going to be awesome. Then. <laughs> now, this guy, he's done a lot of um, YouTubes that people that are in the quote-unquote liberty kind of movement, they've seen these YouTubes for about a decade now. And he's written books, and he wants to talk about his latest book. Um, so that should be interesting. He's definitely of the mindset that people do not have to live in the matrix that they've set up for us. He's Canadian. And um, I, I just want to hear what he has to say. It should be good. And then on the 19th, it, we've got Jack Blood. And then on the 26th, Joyce Riley. So that'd be great. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we got a great lineup of uh, guests, and uh, we—I don't know how you but do then, it. But then <laughs> coming up, even after that, in May, we're going to have um, Catherine Austin Fitz on May third coming back to talk to us about local action. So after you've heard what she had to say before, um, she actually threw a webinar, now. and um, I went, I listened to it. And I took notes and I told her, I said, this was a great webinar. And, I, and she's like, can we talk about the local action? We were talking about the, the webinar. I said, yeah. So we hooked her up. She's going to be back with us talking specifically about local actions you can do where you live to, to cleanse the money around you. To like, because so much of it is just, we've talked with her about black budgets and all this other stuff. How to get yourself, and if it's not going to work where you live, where to, to reposition yourself. She, she tells you how to look at a place on a map and drill into the place to find out if it's the type of place that will be hospitable to you um, as far as financially. Because things are really, she says, things within the next decade are really going to change. And I, in my mind, I'm saying shit, it's going to be shit hit the fan type of scenario. But she never said that. So, But nonetheless, <laughs> she said we've got to really brace ourselves in the next 10 years money's going to be very different and we've got to get living we've got to live in a place that we can we can <laughs> prosper yeah make then, stuff work <clears throat> yeah and next you, week, oh go ahead go ahead well go ahead. you you were on you've been on with greg hunter right i maybe i'm wrong with that on, on his show no i've never been on greg hunter's show no oh okay i i thought that was something that i heard you say once but anyway i i follow him at uh Pretty often, and a lot of his guests are saying that, look, this is it. The whole money scheme that was set up by the Federal Reserve is is done because we don't have the trade goods. You know, we aren't manufacturing the type of, you know, things that other countries want. All we're manufacturing is war stuff and other countries and, and want. Health care. And health care. So we got sick people and war stuff. Who who did did you just mention that uh, there uh, or no? It was on uh, James Evan Plato was talking about the the countries that are just completely re rejecting our GMOs that they don't want anything to do with them and so yeah good yeah good. and so yeah we don't uh, and so if all you have are paper dollars and the paper dollars don't have you know goods being produced that they can buy you know with those paper dollars all of a sudden you know it doesn't matter how many of them that they, they print you know the people that have hoarded all of these, you know, all of this money, it's not going to do them any good because, yeah. you know. The, no, well, on top of it, Rob, you know, I was all involved with the Ron Paul thing, and I still love Ron Paul. So he's like a father figure. I love him. But I'm honestly starting to wonder, I think they let him continue with his messaging and everything, especially with the end the Fed stuff. Why didn't somebody just come out and pop him, like just get rid of him? No, they let him go on and on with this end the Fed stuff. And I think it's to get people in the mindset that it would be a glorious event when they do. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I also think that they're going to try to, uh, you know, put the gold standard back in because, you know, the people at the top have already hoarded the gold. And, uh, you know, they will have ultimate, you know, that they've changed the golden rule to, you know, who has the gold rules. And so we'll all be the serfs of these uh, people that have hoarded all the gold in the time. And. Uh, my, well, my who knows? Maybe the world will end before then because on May, what is it? May tenth, we're going to have uh, Ben Davidson back on to talk about the the, the geomagnetic magnetic problems the Earth is having. So we'll be able to. <laughs> the 
finish up with that. The, the but Rob, night. thank you so much. This is a good show. I'm glad we had Anne on today. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted to get her on for a long, long time, and like yeah, even on my did. show, that was one of the first guests I tried to get, and uh, and she was, uh, you know, had other stuff going on, and so. Uh, and that's fine. I'm glad that we were able to get through today, and we'll have to get her back on because I'm sure she we we can ask her to talk slower and give her the whole hour, you know, because she had a uh, an appointment to be at today. So I think she tried to squeeze in as much as she could. Yeah, I know and... she did. She tried to <laughs> juice that lemon. Yeah, that was good. Okay, she did so a really good job. So let's see. Let's go out with our uh, our Ben tune and. Uh, bring that in and uh thanks everybody for listening it's been fun bye guys (laughs) have a great day Welcome to Shadow Citizen with Rachel McIntosh and Robo Cell. <laughs>